you know, I, I'm sure as soon as you start sort of saying, okay, well, you buy this branded sort of water bottle, you get a piece of art, it becomes a bit more appealing. I don't know if it becomes more appealing for me, but I just want a water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Floorcast, the NFT podcast, episode 61. We are back again with Pet in the Seas. That should be the new podcast title, actually. We don't have show notes today because I got too busy over the weekend and Monday. So if this episode goes awry or is of poorer quality than you folks are expecting, then you know why. First of all, introducing my co-host, Chris Kay. How are you? Hey, I'm good, thanks. It feels like it's been a few weeks. Have you been doing something behind our backs, Pat? Yeah, I was going to ask if you listened to the couple of interviews that Christine and I have done that went on the feed last week. No, so they're on my um, podcast uh, ready to go. I usually just don't listen to the shows I'm in, so I've been forgetting to sort of uh, listen to these things. But I, I hear good feedback from the community, e even though I, I think people were chanting, we want Chris K back. Yeah, the Chris Case fan club was in full effect in the Floorcast channel on Discord. You're just trying to bring it up now to, to get some confirmation on that. But yeah, people were asking about the seas and bringing them back. But I do think you'll enjoy the Silly Tuna one, you know, uh, tech background, British, crypto. I think that's kind of enough, right? I, I think so. I mean, you had me at British, so I'll give it a listen and maybe um, we'll talk about it next week. Corwin, did you get a chance to listen? No, I actually don't listen to any episodes anymore. I used to listen to everyone, but now I don't listen. What the hell? How was it? So you're telling me that our own hosts aren't listening to the podcast, and then you're complaining about the numbers being down. Who's complaining? Wait, the numbers are down? <laughs> I don't know, I just made that up. Um, I haven't actually looked at them for a little while. Um, how are you doing, Gordon? I'm doing wonderfully. It's nice and sunny in New York. Starting this Sunday, Daylight Savings is going to start getting dark after 7 p.m. now. So every day when I leave the office now, it's not going to be completely dark. I'm so stoked. This is going to be a great week. Does anyone know why Daylight Savings in North America happens at a different time to the UK? Chris, do you know that? I mean, I assume they just want to be country. You know, you, you go through the trouble of breaking up with a country. You don't want to keep the same sort of um, standards and sort of uh, timekeeping, right? Yeah, because that, those two weeks where it's six hours or four hours rather than five hours difference between the UK and North America really fucks shit up. It really does. Yeah. I almost got fired once because of that. It's also interesting because I'm pretty sure we voted like six years ago to get rid of daylight savings. And here we are. What? Still having it. Yeah. What? That was an actual thing? You voted to get rid of it? Yeah. Yeah, you vote on it like fairly regularly. Like I think there's a bill like what? twice a year that goes through Congress. Um, but, but no one why? sort of... Because it's annoying. Yeah, we literally said we don't want it anymore. Because if you look at like statistics, when daylight savings happens, more people have heart attacks. Like it's crazy because, they, yeah. What? It, it disrupts the flow. Uh, so... People die, apparently. Yeah, and there's like no need for it anymore. I never, this is the first time I've ever, ever heard of it. Did you know, actually, Chris K, that back in like 1860, there was a time difference between Manchester in North England and London. So like you'd take the train up to Manchester and it'd be like 30 minutes in advance. I, there's still a time difference because everyone's drunk up there and, um, you know, they have a different perception of time. 
Sure. I mean, there's that as well, but yeah. Okay, I think we should move on with the show because people have probably tuned in to listen to us talk about the NFT space and we're like four minutes in and it's weather, daylight savings, dying of heart attacks and the, the time difference between Manchester and London in 1860. So first and foremost, Starbucks Odyssey, Chris K, you were DMing me and saying it's a terrible user experience and it's going to fail. I'm seeing loads of good PR, lots of people saying that they enjoy it. So what gives? Who's wrong and who's right here? I mean, obviously the world is wrong and I'm right. Um, yeah, I was just sort of thinking about my onboarding experience. Um, I went through it probably about a week ago now. And I was just very underwhelmed. First of all, it isn't part of the app. You know, you need to go to this website, you need to dig up your credentials and then connect your account to Nifty Gateway and Starbucks and go through that whole rigmarole. Like that wasn't what I was expecting. I had to reset my password because I don't remember any of my passwords. And then I get in and like, it feels like I'm in an employee training sort of simulation. They're asking me all these questions about like the coffee, where it's made, you know, when it's appropriate or not appropriate to sort of touch a coworker. Like, wh okay, why do I need out. to, um, you know, fill this in? I'm not taking a job with you. You know, I have a vague interest in your coffee and that it wakes me up. But it, I don't know. It felt like it was coming on very strong very soon. And I think the other part was they haven't even introduced NFTs and Web3 to me yet. It's like, I've done most of your questionnaires. Give me a token. Don't make me go to the store and buy a coffee. I just want to sort of get a feel for, you know, what the scope of this program is. And it just didn't really do a good job engaging me. And it just seemed a bit overly sort of uh, educational um, versus what I expect from my coffee vendor. Yeah. And I agree with Chris K. I talked about this like two months ago when I first got into the program too. It does not feel Starbucks-y at all. It does not feel like a Starbucks experience to me. Like a Starbucks experience to me is when I open the app it's very like visually appealing. It's like, it makes me want to go get stars and spend more money at Starbucks. This doesn't make me want to spend money. It's like buy one coffee for $2 and then do our, our employee training as like Chris K says it. And it's like, oh, here's the history of Starbucks. And I'm like, that's cool. By the way, I'm saying this from a stance of I got a free token. I sold it for $1,000 on their marketplace and I've been eating Starbucks every day now, putting money back in. You've been eating Starbucks, not drinking. <laughs> yeah, they they have a good breakfast. <laughs> so I'm saying this from the fact like, hey, I made money off of it. I think it was like, I think it's a cool idea in theory, but it just doesn't feel Starbucksy to me in a sense of like, it's like Chris K said, there's just too many hoops. You got to go through this whole OAuth process. You got to do X, Y, Z. And then once you're doing all that, it's like, okay, I'm learning about where they make their beans. Like, okay, like, I don't know. It just doesn't feel Starbucksy. It feels more... Yeah, I guess Chris K literally has the perfect word for it, which is, it feels like a employee training. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other sort of thing that makes me a bit sort of wary is like, it's recommending I buy some beans in a store and get them shipped to me to get a point. It's telling me to get their sort of raspberry, vanilla, olive oil, frappe, cappuccino thing. I have no confidence that I'm going to walk into a Starbucks store, scan my QR code, and it's all going to like filter in and it's going to register that I've purchased the required item to get my points. Like that, that's the other thing. Like I don't quite sort of trust that it's going to work. So like I think low expectations don't really help. 
But yeah, it's just a, a weird loyalty experience. Like, I get the need to sort of reward all these sort of millennials and Gen Zs with uh, points to get them out of bed in the morning. But yeah, I, this just seems very fast. Well, listen, let's see. I mean, I'm sure it will be it become more and more a part of the app. I mean, they're clearly going all in on this stuff, right? They want to be able to reward lawyer, uh, lawyers. <laughs> they want to be able to reward their users and, and customers in a more digitally native way, I guess. But the, the truth of the matter is, as you guys said, like, first and foremost, you know, if I get 10 coffees, I want the 11th free. I don't know if I want a digital collectible. And, you know, cool, when you sold yours for $1,000, I don't think that's going to happen, like, a year from now unless you get some crazy NFT that's backed by some amazing money can't buy experience which I don't know if Starbucks can offer and and make it commercially viable in the long term I don't know it just seems like an experiment right now and that's why it's not part of their actual product right yeah exactly is it not part of the product because it was also outsourced like this was built by the yeah. team over at Forum 3 like Essentially, it's a white label loyalty platform that they've put the Starbucks logo on it. I think as you get deeper into this, it's going to be hard to integrate in a good way um, unless you bring a lot of this in-house. Yeah, so so what I was going to say is like, on the one hand, this kind of composable permissionless loyalty system is really interesting. On the other side of it, I just really don't quite know if the biz model and the incentive structures work as well as people think they will. Again, I'm not a loyalty expert, so... Cohen, maybe you can answer this question. Are the points actually on-chain, or is it just the NFT rewards? Just the actual NFT you get. The points are not on-chain, to my knowledge. The NFT you get is on Nifty Gateway. It's all on Polygon. As you were saying, Pat, uh, just going back uh, quickly here, Pat, you were saying that you're not a loyalty rewards expert but the thing is starbucks is so i'm curious why they're outsourcing a loyalty program to another company by the way i'm not saying that the company isn't doing a phenomenal job of this loyalty i'm just saying i'm curious why they wouldn't do it in-house i don't know if this like was their ip licensed out i don't know i think when you're a really big company you do these little experiments and see if they can grow if you're not certain they're going to impact your business in a positive way. So I always look at, uh, and this is a really, really far away example, but FIFA, the soccer game, their business model used to just be sell the game every year, you play it, and then you buy the next season's game with the new players and the new teams. They then started FIFA Ultimate Team, which was like the cards and the coins and you make your own team with all these different cards and stuff. That suddenly became like huge. And a decade later, that was by far their biggest revenue driver. So when you're a big business, I, I don't think you can just kind of like, you know, just completely pivot. Basically, they've got a really successful loyalty system. It drives a load of their commerce. Why would they fix something that isn't broke? So create a small experiment on the side, see if it attracts a more young audience whilst, you know, those younger audiences are maybe being attracted by different coffee brands, ones that are more environmentally friendly or, uh, you know, have cool coffee bar spots or, you know, do a nicer decaf, whatever it may be, and see if that works. And then maybe integrate it more into the system. I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Like every large company I've either worked for or worked with, they tend to have this sort of internal innovation team. Large budget, they're looking at sort of IoT, they're looking at mobile, they're looking at whatever the new emerging tech trends are. And basically putting together a pilot, like how do we prove that there's a business here that we can then take and actually sort of develop and make part of our core product. But until you know whether it's going to work or not, you don't want to take the risk of either plowing lots of time and effort into it or whatever to sort of um, re- totally reinvent what you're doing. So yeah, that makes total sense. Speaking of big brands, uh, Spotify have started token gating stuff uh, for specific playlists. We saw our good friends Creeps have created their own playlist and uh, a few other artists and NFT projects. Chris K, Spotify token gating, is this like a little bit just playful and doesn't really matter or is this tip of the iceberg type of thing for uh, artists and creators? I'm not sure it matters. Um, At least I think I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like I think it's really cool. I like sort of they partnered with Creeps and a few other projects to do this. They haven't been big on the rollout, so I don't think I can get it in the iPhone. I don't think I can get it on the website. And I think like that that's going to be a bigger sort of challenge to folks who are doing any kind of token-gated content. Is like people have lots of wallets these days, whether it's device-specific wallets or ones they share across. Maybe it's a custodial wallet that they originally minted on. You know, you mint with Nifty, it goes into their wallet. You need to transfer it out. And just, I think, getting a view of someone's digital assets and seeing if they're eligible to do an unlock, it's challenging. Um, So, like, I think they need to sort of work on that. And I think just in general, that's a challenge that uh, we're facing. With music specifically, like... I still think there's a big divide between the music NFTs you can buy on sort of sound.xyz, et cetera, and then all of the streaming services where there's like a totally different business model. And I'm just not seeing any efforts to sort of unify the two at the moment. Like this is a cool perk for the holders. I I don't know if I expect to see more of these in future. And, you know, on a platform where anyone can create and publish their own playlists... Does it really matter if there's an exclusive one I have access to because someone has probably already ripped it off? So my take on this is that music NFT... So, so if we take music as a whole, music NFTs, I think selling music as an NFT is just not a sustainable business model for, for most artists. What is cool is in sports, you have like OTT, which is, you know, like you can sell exclusive digital content through your own gateway uh, to sports fans without commentary, um, blah, blah, all that kind of stuff, right? Like an NBA League pass, MLS with Apple, blah, blah, blah. I think that artists and creators will want to do a similar thing via Spotify's token gating. The issue I think they'll have is most creators, like the Floorcast, want to publish on all platforms, right? For us to be exclusive to Spotify and create like token gated content on Spotify alone, I don't know if that's that appealing to a creator that wants kind of scale and an audience, if that makes sense. I mean, it depends. If they're going to give us uh, Joe Rogan money, uh, we should take it. Um, if anyone from Spotify is listening, we'll take your money. Uh, just tell us what you need us to do. 
I, I, I get where you're going there. I see that more sort of jiving with sort of the live music fan experience side of things. Like there's companies uh, like Medallion who are doing some interesting things there and they're combining with tickets and venues so that as you um, go to these concerts, as you listen to music, you're actually sort of getting your sort of music reward points and you're getting access to shows, to photos, to MP3s, whatever, that are just a bit special. Like, that's more how I see, like, the music side going. And Spotify, you could maybe do something like that. Um, you you have that walled garden problem where, wherever you are, but I think it just feels better if it's not walled within a particular music app or sort of ecosystem. Let's talk about one last big brand. Uh, Amazon NFT Marketplace is coming to places near you, Corwin, on the 24th of April that apparently will be linked to physical assets. Uh, your reaction to this news? Uh, the Porsche NFT that we all faded is probably going to come with the physical Porsche, so I'm really sad about that. No, it's not. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, it sounds like great news. Uh if it is true, I haven't seen any reputable news source actually report on it, so who knows if it's even coming out. Uh, but it looks like it would be really cool because Amazon is the king of marketplaces. But also, Starbucks is the king of loyalty programs, and look how that ended up. So I have no idea where this is going to go, but I'm excited to see what it is. I also don't want it to be another Coinbase moment. Coinbase NFT marketplace. How we all were like super hyped, but then it ended up like, not being like a super top marketplace is what I'm also kind of hoping for, is what I'm not hoping for here. Chris Gay, the kind of physical NFT link, like what do you think they're going to do on that angle? I mean, from just the birdies I've been sort of talking to, it seems like they're going down the digital route. They don't just want to be a place where you're buying and selling JPEGs. Um, it's really a case of, you know, what do you have that goes alongside that? Um, and sort of pairs with it. And that could be sort of visual assets. It could be the case where you get the NFT and you redeem it for those physical items. I think that's sort of really important for Amazon as they just try and sort of make sure that there's this tangible aspect into their push uh, into Web3. They're launching their own chain, right? Probably. Um, and it's probably going to be private and quasi-permissioned and then maybe a bit more open down the line. Probably going to do a lot of like authentication stuff, aren't they, on a blockchain uh, with physical products? Um, I mean, potentially. I, I've not heard anything specific there. Like, I, I think they are doing their own chain. I think it's EVM compatible. Mm. But I think like the main sort of thing for them that they're sort of focused on right now is that sort of onboarding experience and making sure that you can easily sort of purchase with credit card. Um, and you don't need to be like a, a crypto sort of um, expert to sort of make a purchase or do anything there. Like, I think that um, is likely their primary focus right now. I do wonder if they will want to eventually sell JPEGs. I, I just think that for Amazon, from a business perspective, if they can take up volume that OpenSea, Instagram are going after whether that be now or in 10 years, it just makes total sense to do so, right? I would agree. And like they have their Android app store that everyone forgets about. Like they're already selling lots of digital items. I think 
you know, their goal um, is likely not to be open sea here. I think they want to work with quality brands, quality partners, and actually sort of curate things a bit more. That doesn't mean that everything needs to have a physical component, but I think it's important that that is at least part of the offering that they're putting out there. Are you like looking at like a Nike, Adidas type visual thing? Maybe that's what their goal or their aim is to do since Nike and Adidas are already in the space and probably some of their top sellers. I I think they will do that. I just, the thing about Amazon is they are like, what are the biggest drivers of sales on Amazon, right? It's like electronics. It's, you know, just houseware stuff. The stuff that you usually get digital twins for are like the stuff that people want to like stunt and show off, whether that's, I don't know, a team jersey or uh, sneakers or like a, a designer jacket, whatever it may be. And I, I just, like, Amazon isn't the place to go for that stuff. So I am very curious to see like, what are the physical things that have NFTs attached to them that Amazon is selling? That's, that's the thing that's going to interest me most. Yeah, I, I think they can be anything. I think, you know, obviously they have a large sort of collectibles market. I, I, but, okay. I buy a water bottle. Like, why do I want the NFT water bottle with it? Because it's from a creator or a brand that uh, you have a connection with. No, but as as a normal consumer, why do I want a digital asset? If I'm not a crazy person, do I <laughs> do I want the NFT with this water bottle? That's a good question. Like, for example, why is Floor not giving NFTs alongside the liquidity water bottle? Because no one really wants it, right? Like, so I, I just, I'm thinking about like Amazon and what they mostly sell here. And also like there, there is some licensing stuff around this, right? Like a lot of the stuff that's sold on Amazon is, you know, they don't have the NFT rights to. So I'm, yeah, I'm really, really interested like the route this takes. And I think this is why they're working with sort of creators specifically. Then it sort of sidesteps the licensing rights. And you're sort of picking those creators, you're picking those projects where you have that compelling physical and digital item to go with. You know, I, I'm sure as soon as you start sort of saying, okay, well, you buy this branded sort of water bottle, you get a piece of art, um, it becomes a bit more appealing. I don't know if it becomes more appealing for me, but I just want a water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Radio, uh, before we move on, <laughs> I need to remind you that we are a community podcast from the Floor NFT community. If you don't know what Floor is, it's your very own portfolio in your pocket, tracks price movements, shows you your NFTs in one amazing clean interface, and so much more. Corwin, I did that all without show notes. That's a bit scary. Uh, what's the latest from Floor? So this is coming out tomorrow, correct? Wednesday? Yeah. There is some exciting news coming out today that I am unable to speak on, but by the time this episode's out, hopefully the news is out. And that's all I can say. Such a tease, Colwyn. Always a tease. It's pretty big news, but that's all I can say. How big on a scale of like one to Amazon launching an NFT marketplace? Uh, Probably about a 7.5. That's okay. pretty big news. Okay, what about one to Yuga launching Bitcoin NFTs? Well, that's probably never going to happen, so zero. 
What, what do you mean? It's already happened. Really? You go launch Bitcoin NFTs? <laughs> Why? <laughs> You're joking, Why? right? You're joking, right? No, I'm not joking. Why would do you, you go even to Bitcoin? NFT? Yeah, but I don't follow Bitcoin NFTs. Uh, I don't know what to say about that, to be fair. Could be a sackable offense here, Chris K. I know like two apes like burned burned their like mutant apes or whatever to to BTC, but I didn't know Yuga actually entered the space. Um yeah, Yuga well, I mean this is this is part of our next topic, but Yuga launched something called Twelve Fold, um, and they made fifteen million dollars from it, Chris K. Did you follow this? I've not really been following this. Like the Bitcoin NFT stuff. I don't know. I, I'm not sure what to think about it in general. Um, so I've been kind of ignoring it. Um, but so they did some weird auction mechanic with this one, right? Yes, they did. And people didn't like it because they messed it up or something. I don't know exactly. It messed up somehow, but they did still make $15 million for it. Interesting. Yeah, I read it was like a weird sort of um, mechanic where you like sent people your Bitcoin. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, pinky swear, we'll send it back to you. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. They made $15 million. It's probably not the sort of um, best experience when you're sort of talking about um, an asset as valuable as Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, uh, Corwin, you clearly have stopped paying attention to NFTs, but like... Uh, in terms of Bitcoin NFTs and ordinals in general, like what, what are your thoughts on them? I think they're interesting. Is it still all OTC over the counter or do they have like a marketplace? Now? Uh, I think a bit of both. It is a little bit more painful on the reselling front, but um, there are some kind of semi-marketplaces getting ready. My thoughts here are if people want to have digital assets on BTC, let them, even though BTC community probably hates it. People should be able to do whatever they want. So, so the thing That's I my think thoughts. here is that this is like expensive for creators, right, Chris K? Because it's really expensive to mint these things on the Bitcoin blockchain. Like it's easier to transfer stuff, but it's hard, it's more expensive usually to buy stuff. So it's harder for creators because it's more expensive. And then it's harder for the minters and the buyers because the user experience is bad. So this is so far very much for a niche community. Is your silence an, an agreement? Yeah, I agree. It's the wrong tool for the job. Like, if anything, like I see more NFT trades in future moving over to the L2s where you don't have these sort of technical and UX issues. Um, this just seems like a step backwards. And you're right. It's probably something the BTC crowd don't like because they don't like anything. Well, listen, we'll keep paying attention to ordinals. Uh, when we have show notes next week, I'm sure we'll be talking about Bitcoin NFTs in a in a completely different way with, with much more research. Um, for now, I wanted to get your take, Corwin, on the Dookie Dash key selling for $1.6 million to the Fortnite streamer whose name I can't recall because we have no show notes. And it quadrupled his career earnings as a professional gamer. He's only 18 as well. Chris K, you're shaking your head. This is nuts. Someone told me that... I, I've heard so many different versions of the story. One, somebody paid him to play it. And then two, there was like a rule in like the Yuga handbook or something that was like, no professional gamers are allowed to play this. Have you heard any of these, Pat? Or am I just like randomly reading fake stuff on Twitter? 
I haven't heard any of the rumors. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Yuga paid a fort, like a very famous Fortnite streamer to to play the game. No, no, no. Like someone who owned like a board ape paid a famous oh professional player to play for them. I mean, I don't know why someone with a board ape. I mean, ape would I do see that. why. Because, I see why, why because look, they just want, they just made one point six million dollars. If you own a board ape, you're not a Yuga shareholder. Right? Like, unless you have so much money, you're just doing it for fun. Like, why would you do that? Because you get, you won the key for them playing for you. And now you have $1.6 million. Oh, got you, got you. I know there was an issue with bots on the game. That's, that's one thing I did know. And, and a lot of people were talking about the user numbers being completely botted, not from Yuga, but just generally people botting it so they can try and win more prizes. Um, thoughts on the sale itself, though? Amazing. I think that's damn. Really like, nuts, yeah. I can't believe people are still spending this much on Yuga ecosystem uh, in today's like age of NFTs. But that's great to see. Like, it's I I think it's great for the space to see sales that high still. It's yeah. What are your thoughts, Pat? I I, I think this is pretty nuts. I have spoken to a bunch of people. I, I just a few people have been like, gaming has changed forever. Once like gamers see this, it's like. Is it though? Because when I see someone win an esports tournament or like a Warzone tournament and they win like half a million dollars, I'm not like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to like play loads of games to make money now. Because surely in this situation, it was the best player who won that key and then sold it. So it's more comparable to esports than it is anything revolutionary to gaming, if that makes sense, right? Am I completely off the boil with that point? No, I. I think you're right. I, I think it's actually now that from the angle you're bringing it to, it's like, it's kind of like a, it's kind of a case study for Fortnite and League of Legends and all these big multiplayer games to think about the way they can run tournament prizes maybe in the future, depending on what this key does, does though, right? Because isn't this key speculation still? Do people know what it does? It, it, does it do anything? Is it for a future un- unlock for Yuga's ecosystem? And I mean, that's that's kind of like our ignorance here. We don't know because it may have been announced already, but... Awesome. Let's move to uh, Chris K speaking for probably the rest of the show um, because there were some really interesting things that came out of ETH Denver, Chris, that wanted to get your takes on. First of all, this um, new Ethereum account abstraction, EIC4335? ERC four three three seven. I was so close. So so close. ERC what four three three seven. I was pretty close though. Four three three five. Um, and also an interesting announcement from the Polygon side of things around zero knowledge proofs and digital identity. They're creating like open source tooling for people to create um, zero knowledge proof propositions. I think the the former probably piqued your attention more, and I'd love you to give us like a. Idiot's Guide slash Pet's Guide to ERC4337. Yeah, absolutely. So for as long as Ethereum has been a thing, you've had a wallet and that you generate through Coinbase, Metamask, or whatever. And those are sort of known as externally owned accounts. So basically what that means is one person has a private key for that account and they can make transactions. You also have the concept of a smart contract And that is obviously programmatic, and you can tell it to do whatever you want it to do. There's just a few restrictions on what an externally owned account and a contract can do 
in the context of the Ethereum blockchain. What that has meant is that, you know, you've had to deal with seed phrases, private keys, you've got challenges onboarding people, you can't necessarily use your existing authentication system to help people create their wallet and remember and to access it securely. ERC-4337, account extraction, basically gives you a new kind of wallet that you can have, and that wallet is sort of more akin to a smart contract that can be programmed. So you can build in custom behaviors into your wallet that enable experiences that um, offer benefits to your users. So what can it do? You can build in um, capabilities to use biometrics, to use other authentication standards like OAuth, like web authentication or pass keys, anything that sort of you're doing with your Mac, with your fingerprint sensor, you could conceivably be an entry point into authenticating a transaction with your wallet. You can also sort of configure things like transaction limits. So you can tell your wallet, okay, just automatically authorize all transactions under $50. But if something comes in that's more than that, you need a certain amount of authentication approval to sort of process that. On the seller side of things, by Building by having sort of smart contract based wallets like this, you can also do interesting things around transaction bundling. So rather than sort of submitting 10 transactions and having the user sign each one of them, you can combine them together and the user just needs to click approve once. You can change who pays gas. You can have the user pay for gas with ERC 20s or sort of other currencies. Basically, it just lots of tools and sort of possibilities are unlocking. If you want to craft something that is more similar to your Web2 experience, where the user doesn't need a wallet, they don't need to manage seed phrases, they can use existing methods that you have for account creation, authentication, recovery, and you can switch up who is paying for gas in these transactions. So you don't need to sort of have the person create a wallet, fund it before they can go mint your NFT. Like, there's lots of sort of cool stuff that you could theoretically do with this. Um, it doesn't quite unlock things like recurring payments and some other things that the Ethereum ecosystem is screaming, screaming out for, but I think it's been really important for the next wave of wallets and users and just getting them all um, onboarded. In terms of how this works from a practical level, to try these sort of new things and to sort of build around it, you need to go and create a new wallet um, that has these capabilities. Though I think what the plan is, is at some point in the future, as this is sort of being rolled out, tested, audited, and developed upon, there will be some sort of hard fork similar to what we had in September, where existing accounts will be upgraded to this new standard. So lots of exciting things to look forward to. I think as a developer, you know, there's lots of possibilities here, especially if I already have a lot of infrastructure on the Web2 side. And for the users, once people start building around this, you're going to see just a much smoother, much safer experience. And I think, you know, that, that is the key. Like we've said so many times, like should users self-custody their credentials? Probably not. This gives you real secure ways around that, um, that you can sort of start building account protection mechanisms for your users. How was that, Pat? Wow. I mean, 
that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Um, how do you think this is going to be utilized in the immediate term? Like, what are the most, like, the couple of things that you see, you know, big brands taking advantage of, like when you're working with clients and, and thinking about this, like, do you think it's going to be something that's immediate just because it is so relevant to your kind of mainstream consumer? Maybe. I think it's probably going to hit um, on the provider side first. Like I can see folks like Magic Link. I can see folks like Crossmint really sort of jumping on board of this. Like They're already sort of offering custodial wallet solutions and they can use these technologies to extend those. And also, I think, get to a place where they're not necessarily having to hold the private keys for the wallet. It's still a case where the user has a lot more control over those assets. So that's where I see things going. I think uh, if every brand building in the space goes off and sort of does something, you're going to end up with sort of dozens of sort of different solutions that are sort of slightly different, but not quite the same. So I, I would watch people like Magic Link to see um, what they're doing with the technology because I think they're, they have the sort of means to spread it amongst the entire ecosystem. Just on that provider side of things, do you think the likes of Instagram and Amazon, I mean, not Amazon because they're using their own chain, but like Instagram looking at this kind of thing and thinking uh, this makes our life a lot easier? I think maybe like if you're already authenticating users, if you're already storing credentials, if you're already doing stuff like two-factor authentication, then it's very um, easy now to sort of extend that functionality to wallets that you are creating. Um, so, you know, it could be the case where, yeah, you decide, okay, I'm going to build one of these contract wallets, um, or smart wallets, depending on sort of how you want to sort of think about them. And you're going to sort of enable functionality for your users. I think the larger players, you will probably see them sort of going ahead here versus, uh, folks who, are, who will be waiting for like Magic Link and the others to adopt. Awesome. Uh, Corwin, any comments on any interesting things that have come out of Ethender from you, or are you going to stay silent like myself? Oh, I, the elephant in the room is, you know, the theater that happened there, the singing. As always, right? Did Did you see that video, Pat? Of no, like, I didn't. What are you talking about? Wait, really? No. So I'm going to put it in the forecast channel. I, I don't know how you didn't see this. It has over 400,000 oh views. Oh my god. And there's a bunch of videos of this. So people are like kind of memeing it like, oh, is this a, is Eve Denver a talent show? It's like a musical. What on earth? This is so weird. Okay. How did you miss this? Are you even are you even in Web3, Pat? Do I even Web3? I mean, like I was going to actually go to Eve Denver and I'm, I'm glad I didn't considering that. Interesting. I, I, do you think there's going to be stuff like that at NFT NYC this year, Corwin? If not, do we do that? I'm kind of down, actually. Like, the amount of confidence you have to have and creativity because they not only wrote these, memorized it, choreo choreographed it, I respect it. Like, I know everyone's making it a meme and kind of, like, making fun of them, but I'm like, damn, this is, like, they put a lot of effort into this. Is it, though? Like, can we not just chat GPT? Like, write me a song about a podcast called The Floorcast that is about NFTs, and then we have it, and then we just perform it. Write me a song about a podcast called The Floorcast, which is about NFTs. Tuning into The Floorcast, he hearing all about those NFTs. It's a podcast that should last for those in the crypto scene. They talk about the latest trends and all the artists making the trends in the world of NFTs. It's The Floorcast. Come and see. 
guests come and go sharing their views on what is new and what is hot from blockchain to digital art. They cover it all a lot. And they talk about the latest trends and all the artists making trends in the world of NFTs. It's the forecast. Come and see. It's a show that's informative, but also entertaining. And when you listen in, you find it quite engaging. That's a pretty good line, actually, that one. I like that. I might start the show with that. I'm not going to lie. Like The dedication from Chris K here actually singing. I respect it. I've got another song that I, I did the same thing with ChatGPT. Tuning into the forecast, it's time to learn about NFTs, a new way to earn. By the way, uh, none of what we say on this show is, uh, is financial advice. From art to music and even sports, the possibilities are endless. So let's explore. And then the chorus is the forecast. It's where we go to hear about the latest crypto show. NFTs are the name of the game and the forecast will never be the same. That doesn't make sense, ChatGPT. It doesn't make sense. Make the chorus better. Make the chorus make sense, please. <laughs> I apologize for the confusion. Here's a revised version of the chorus that hopefully makes sense. Oh, that's better. The floor cast, it's where we go to learn about the world of NFTs and how they flow from rare collectibles to one-of-a-kind art. The floor cast helps us navigate this new digital start. Mm. That last line needs some work, doesn't it? Yeah. I think we should probably wrap up there. Otherwise, this could go on for a long time. I agree. Corwin, who's got a better singing voice? Chris K. Fuck, okay. No, no, no. I, I go into spoken word after the first line. So I, I don't think it's me, unfortunately. It's going to take a while to like build up the voice. Well, next week we'll have loads more singing for you, but hopefully some more formatted and structured and researched NFT news. Uh, Chris K, where can people find out more about you? You can find me on Twitter at at Seekerhonan, or you can find me on Farcaster, which has been renamed to Chat or something, for, uh, and I'm at Chris K over there. Why did they rename it? <laughs> I was confused, and apparently there were lots of people um, tweeting or Farcasting or whatever their sort of verb is. It's because Farcaster is the protocol and now Warp Chat or whatever is the app. Um, but that just confuses me. Yeah, I was going to log into it the other day and then they're like, oh, you can't use this version anymore. You have to go to the app store now. And I'm just like, I'm good. So I didn't want to go download another app and I'm not using it anymore. Exactly. I, I assume they got sued and had to change the name, but that wasn't the case. But right now, Farcaster is pretty much like exclusively me and um, Moonfuel, one of our listeners, um, chatting. I, I think I'm back on Twitter. You think you're back? Well, I think I'm like back in terms of embracing it. Fair enough. Fair enough. I saw you uh, comment on a couple of my things, so glad to see you're um, back <laughs> in the flow. Uh, you can find me at Pet Berisha on Twitter at P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. You can find us at The Floorcast on Twitter and you can find Floor at Floor on Twitter and you can find us in the Floorcast Discord channel on the Floor Discord as well. Corwin, last but not least. You can find me at 0xCorwin on Twitter or in the Floor Discord. Brilliant. Uh, just remember that none of what we have said is a business uh, or financial advice and it's always just great advice. I've forgotten the line there. What is it? Just remember that none of what we have said is financial advice or business advice, just great advice. We'll have when more did you add the business you. advice no, in? We don't say we business. We never had business advice. We never had business advice? Well, Not in the I disclaimer. think we should make that clear. I mean, listen, I don't know what you 
you know, North Americans sue for anything. So I'm just covering all bases here. All legal advice. Just because you're in North America now. Got it. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. And we'll have more floorcasts for you next week. Thank you.